As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So right when uh, word got out that the courts were going to start streaming on YouTube, I really was impressed by that. And I liked the proactive approach to this transparency, and I was excited. After a couple days of watching some of these hearings, I started noticing right away they were disappearing immediately after the conclusion of the hearing. And right away I thought, what's going on here? I got to check into this. I haven't seen any good justification for deleting the videos. We want to encourage transparency and accountability, and getting a look into court proceedings is one of the best ways to do that. Open courts are critical to the functioning of society. It's critical to delivering justice in a fair and impartial way. We don't want to have secret courts in this country. Nearly every day, Wisconsin judges are deliberately destroying public records that show you what they're doing. It's a decision judges defend as practical and transparency advocates decry as government secrecy. Today, you'll hear the consequences of that decision play out. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, July 9th. And today on Open Record, we're once again talking about open records. Amanda, you got a firsthand experience here with an issue with Wisconsin courts deleting videos. How did that wind up being a story? Well, first, it's important to know that in this country, courts are supposed to be open to the public, and that's in part because it's your right to see how your government operates, and it's in part so you can hold your elected leaders accountable for their decisions, because remember, in Wisconsin, most of the judges you see are elected. You probably don't have time to go to court hearings all day, or maybe you just don't want to, and that's fine. News outlets go to different proceedings and report back what happened. TV stations typically request cameras in the courtroom. That way you can hear people's tone of voice, watch their body language, see their faces, see for yourself what happened. Now, obviously, we're living in a time where things have really changed in terms of the ability to even go to a court hearing because of COVID-19. COVID-19 really changed the way the courts work. Courtrooms aren't very big, and packing people in there just wasn't really possible when COVID hit. So Wisconsin courts quickly moved online, and transparency advocates applauded that move. The idea was to use Zoom for the people involved in the court proceedings, so the attorneys, the court staff, the parties involved, they all get the code for the conference call. And then to make sure you're not having people from the outside disrupting the court proceedings, the public can watch through a live stream on YouTube. So that way the public can witness what's going on, but they can't interject and interrupt. Now, if all that had worked out perfectly, we probably wouldn't even be talking about this right now. So what happened? I think the best way to describe this is to just tell you what we experienced. So I was trying to watch a court hearing for now former Milwaukee police officer Steve Van Erden. He was charged with operating a firearm while intoxicated 
on the job. And by the way, those charges came down just days after he retired with his pension. He struck a deal to get a lesser charge of disorderly conduct if he goes through Veterans Treatment Court. And the hearing he had last week was a check-in to see if he's holding up his end of the bargain. So clearly, I have a lot of questions about this case. Van Erden, his lawyer, the DA's office, they're not answering my calls. So watching this court hearing is really my only option to see what's happening. So I'm watching this. I'm trying to record at home as the proceedings are getting ready to start. And I'm working with Fox 6 photojournalist Jeff Brings, who's also watching and recording from a different location. Right away, we run into problems, and the court appears to know there are problems. I'm on our YouTube channel, and it is not showing up. The live stream would start and stop. After it stopped, you wouldn't be able to get in the stream until well after it started. So Jeff and I were in two locations using several browsers, our laptops, our phones. We could not get into Van Erden's hearing live as it was happening. When we finally got into the YouTube video, that felt like a victory, but at that point, we couldn't watch it live. Here's the thing about YouTube. When you stream live, by default, the video stays up after the live stream is over, unless you press this really ominous-sounding button that says delete forever. So we were able to essentially rewind to Van Erden's hearing, and we're literally 30 seconds into watching it. The screen goes black. We get a notification saying the video was deleted while we were watching it. So now the public has effectively been shut out of what's supposed to be a public hearing that shows how the people you elect, the judges, are holding a public employee accountable. A a public employee, by the way, whose pension you're still paying, even though he's retired from the police force. And I want to step back for just a second because what really stands out to me here, and if people think about this, again, you're starting with this case the public's going to be interested in a cop gets drunk on the job with his service weapon and then is allowed to uh, retire with a pension before criminal charges are brought. So you want to talk to him. You want to find out from not only him, but the DA. Why did they wait until they did to file those charges? Because it was several months later. And in a normal circumstance, in a normal world, you know where he's going to be and when he's going to be there because he's got a court hearing. So you would show up at the courthouse, and as we have done so many times for many years, you would attempt to ask some of those questions maybe in the hallway, outside the courtroom, after the hearing or before the hearing. You would have that opportunity for access. Because of COVID-19, that's already taken away. So the only opportunity you have left is to witness this hearing. Yes, and to to hear, okay, is... Is he meeting all of these requirements? He has this deferred prosecution agreement. So part of what I'm monitoring is he has to meet certain standards. And if he doesn't meet certain standards, are they going to give him the benefits anyway? Are they going to hold him to that? Especially given these other questions about how his retirement was handled. I think those are very fair questions for the public to have. And they want to know that we're watching this. So you're right. We actually requested a camera in the courtroom, even though we knew it was probably going to get denied. Um, but we still wanted to ask. And the off chance, they said, yeah, we're actually holding this in court and, and you can show up with the camera. And they said, no, because it's all virtual, but you can access it through YouTube. So the courts themselves specifically said, this is your way to access the proceeding. And 
then we couldn't access it. Well, and, and I, I look, bring that up because it, that that's already one level at which access is being denied. The typical way we would encounter people who appear for a hearing, you have an opportunity to encounter them in person. That's already gone. Now you're left with the only way to witness this is to watch it. Then there's technical difficulties, so you couldn't watch it live the way you're supposed to. So there's only one way left. And the only way left is that automatic video that YouTube records and they deleted it almost immediately. And the thing is, if it was just this one case, maybe we could work past it. It's not just this one video getting deleted this one time. The guidance That's you got from the Wisconsin director of state, or the judges got that you've seen from the Wisconsin director of state courts, it tells all judges to delete their YouTube streams after court is over. Why is that? <laughs> That's a good question, Brian. And honestly, we haven't gotten a straight answer about why that is. So let me let me back it up here because if you look on these YouTube channels that these different courts have, you'll notice that they're empty even though they've done hundreds of hearings since COVID-19 started. And uh, I spoke with a guy named Kevin Mathewson. You heard him at the beginning of this episode. He is a former Kenosha alderman, and he's a private investigator. So he watches a lot of court hearings. That's part of his job is to monitor those proceedings. And he noticed the videos were being deleted. So he filed an open records request for the emails that were going back and forth with judges, with court staff about how this was going to be handled. Um, and, you know, those are public records, he got them. And in those emails, you see a variety of concerns. So you see a Grant County judge, Judge uh, Vandehey, uh, who's outlining concerns that these proceedings, if videos are left up, are going to be distorted. People will manipulate the videos. And he describes a situation in which he had a sentencing that was captured on camera and years later, he discovered someone had posted it on YouTube with a voiceover mocking the proceedings. And he seemed very disturbed by that possibility. So the guidance comes down that says, OK, just delete these videos after they're done. And you have a few people who bring up some potential issues here. So you have a Dane County judge who says, is this an open records issue? We are creating a record and then we're destroying that record and then you, you can't have do that the, with public records in general government agencies can't just willy-nilly delete records they want they have they're not supposed policies. to be able to right and so remember we're still talking about the government here your judges are elected leaders so do they really fall under a different category and, th and that's a whole different legal discussion um, but the deputy director of state courts even says at one point there could be a lawsuit issue here if we delete the video before someone can access the stream which is the problem that we had so reading these emails was interesting but really the only case I saw in those emails for deleting the videos was the the fear of the proceedings being mocked or manipulated I, I, and I, I know we're in a little bit of a different space here being a podcast so i can offer a little bit more opinion from time to time but the <laughs> idea that a government official is concerned that a record whether it's an official record or not of something they did on the job could be potentially mocked 
there are a lot of things that government officials do in a lot of settings that could potentially be mocked. The city government channel in Milwaukee has videos dating back for years that are up that you can pull up at any time, and it would be very easy to pull up a portion of one of those videos and mock someone during a committee meeting if you chose to. You could. I don't think most people bother to, but certainly you could. It could be used in a campaign ad. People do that kind of stuff all the time. I don't know if that's what judges fear, is that maybe some of the stuff will be turned around and used in some sort of ominous black and white campaign spot the next time they're up for retention or election. I, I don't know, but that doesn't seem to me to be a really persuasive argument for destroying a government record. Right. I think there's part of it comes down to the idea that the courts are sacrosanct, right? Like they're kind of in the the public eye held up to a certain level. And and I'm not saying that they're not, but we need to remember that this is part of our government, that these are people who we elect. And so it, it was interesting to see that back and forth happen. And I spoke with two attorneys who basically said what you just said, Brian. So William Sultan is a constitutional attorney and Tom Kamenek, who we know well, he's been in many Fox 6 stories. Uh, he's an open records attorney. And both of them said they haven't seen any good reason for deleting the video. In fact, Tom Kamenek pointed out, if you're worried about people manipulating videos, they can record it from home and manipulate it all they want. But if you keep these videos up, which by the way, takes literally zero effort, it takes more effort to delete them than it does to just leave them up because that's the default setting on YouTube. If you have that record, then you have proof that the video was distorted. So he, you know, he kind of took the the opposite stance of the thing you're worried about and the reason you're giving for deleting videos is actually the very reason that you should keep them. But their bigger concern is a with a message this sends to other government leaders, you know, if judges are creating public records and then destroying them. And the open records law does define government recordings as public records that should be kept. You know, what what message does that send to other government entities, but also the idea that you could create this and then get rid of it when it comes to accountability, when it comes to transparency um, and when there really are no barriers to keeping them. It's not like you have to pay YouTube a certain amount of money to keep the videos up. Um, and it's not like you couldn't come up with the reasonable retention schedule where you say, okay, we're going to leave them up for 30 days or however long, um, it, it, you know, that's not out of the, the realm of possibility. Well, and so that's both the thing of them, that stands out to me. The, 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 it would be easy to see if there had been an issue here of, look, to keep these videos and to have a, a whole process for maintaining them is going to cost us millions of dollars statewide. There's a pretty compelling argument that, hey, right now that's not in the budget. We're concerned that revenues are going to be down because of COVID. We just can't do this right now. But this isn't a cost issue. This isn't a storage space issue. Google and YouTube have unlimited storage. So they, they, it, this is just a matter of whether they want the videos out there. And, and if I understand correctly, one of their big arguments for this is simply that the video is not the official court record because the official court record is a transcript, is a, a transcript. Right. And that's been the case for, for generations. Yes. Yeah, so the, the courts are required to keep an official record of their proceedings, and that is considered to be the transcript. And what you need to know about this is there are different ways that transcripts come to be. So some courts have essentially stenographers who are there, and they are 
transcribing this live as it happens. Some other courts, uh, for example, Kenosha County Circuit Court, they have their own audio recording, and then someone goes back and listens and transcribes from that audio recording, and then that transcript is the official record. So there are different ways to do this, and here's why that's important. Number one, transcripts aren't free. So you have to pay for them to first make the transcript, and then you have to pay for copies. And that's what we were told when we said, hey, we couldn't get into this hearing for this former Milwaukee police officer. Now, in this case, the hearing must have been short because they said it's only four or five pages. Cost is less than 15 bucks. Fine. In a lot of these cases, especially when you're dealing with longer court proceedings, transcripts can easily run upwards of $400. The general public can't afford that. So now you don't have a way to see what officially happened if that video has been deleted. But the bigger issue is that there are times now with COVID where there is no transcript. There is no record of what these elected leaders, what judges are saying and doing in their courtroom and how they're handling these cases. So Kevin Mathewson, the private investigator and former alderman we spoke to, he had a hearing where he was able to record the very beginning of it, um, but couldn't record the rest of it. The YouTube video, of course, got deleted after the fact. So he requested a transcript. The problem is that since things moved online, Kenosha County Circuit Court, their audio recording, they're basically, you know, recording it through the computer as it happens. And they sent him a letter saying, sorry, our audio recording was so poor that it was impossible for the court reporter to come up with a transcript. You couldn't make out anything anybody said. So beyond so there's no whatever record, minutes were taken, there is literally no record of that hearing. There is literally no record of what happened in that hearing. There's no way to know. There's no recording. And if the YouTube video had been allowed to just stay there, then there would be a record of what happened. So, and typically the audio recording wouldn't have had a problem because when you're recording someone in person, it sounds very different than when you're recording through a computer. So they've promised that they've updated their audio system, but that's not the point. The point is we now have potentially multiple court hearings. I don't know how many. But if this problem was just picked up when Kevin Mathewson uh, requested the transcript, we have weeks potentially of hearings where there is no record. And there would have been if the judges had literally done nothing and left the YouTube video up instead of taking the, the very deliberate action Amanda, of deleting you, them. You said something, though, that stood out to me, and I don't know if this is it. And I know you really haven't had the opportunity to ask a lot of questions because what you got from... The, the, the small number of judges who responded to you were written uh, letters, written answers, rather than a, a conversation where you could ask back and forth. But you raised the question of the cost of transcripts, which is prohibitive for many people. They're simply not going to order a transcript of a hearing if it's going to cost $400. They're just not going to do it. So that means they're not going to get access to it. A YouTube video would be free, so they would be able to. But it makes me wonder, is there a concern among the courts that making YouTube videos available for free would in fact cut in on their business because payment for transcripts is a revenue source. Is there a concern there? And I don't know if that's the case. I'm speculating here, but it's something that came to mind because I can imagine that if you can access it for free, why pay $400? 
Right. And that's something that transparency advocates, they've speculated pretty much in the same way, Brian, but no one from the court system has actually said it. That doesn't mean they're not thinking it. Um, We emailed several judges. We emailed the director of state courts asking for interviews about this. One, because if if we're going to mention you by name, we want to let you know we're doing a story and give you a chance to weigh in. But two, because we we do want that perspective. Maybe there's a reason that hasn't been discussed via email that that no one's telling us. Most of the judges did not respond. Um, the the two that did were basically clarifying some of their comments in the email. So Judge Van de Hey, who we mentioned earlier, who was concerned about videos being manipulated, he didn't directly answer questions about whether he thinks YouTube videos still should be deleted. He did say that some of his concerns about YouTube streaming have been alleviated. He doesn't have problems with the way his colleagues are doing that. He actually provides direct access to the Zoom call and sets up you know, some security measures so the public can't disrupt it. That way, presumably, if there's a technical issue, it's because it's happening on the call and everyone's having the same technical issue so the public can experience well, what everyone that's a else good is point. experiencing. I hadn't thought about that. Because you have these two different audio, or video streams, essentially, if the Zoom call's going fine, but it's the YouTube thing that has the problem, the only people being shut out are the people trying to watch from the public on YouTube, but the court proceeding may be going on fine. So what you're saying is he says if, if we give people access directly to Zoom, then if there's a problem on the Zoom call, then the court proceeding itself isn't going forward and it's not going to until that's resolved. Right. So that was that was his solution. And, you know, it, it doesn't really address the issue of if you're creating a video and, and you're a judge, do you need to retain it? And open records advocates say, yes, you do. Um, but that's kind of one way he, he got around his concerns about things being on YouTube. The reality is, even if you're on the Zoom call, you can still record the proceeding and post your own video. So is there really that big of a difference if it's on YouTube? Probably not. Um, it, it's, it's interesting just this idea of where we're allowed to have a camera and when. And again, maybe you're not the kind of person who's going to sit at home and watch court YouTube videos. I don't expect you to be. That's something that we do, quite frankly, so that you don't have to. But when the public can't see something, when no one can access it, we talk about it and we make a big deal about it because that affects the ability to hold the powerful accountable. And maybe nothing strange or wrong or salacious is going on in these things you can't see. But quite frankly, you don't know. And we know from years of experience with Wisconsin's open records and open meetings laws that public leaders behave differently when they know people are watching. And that is something that that, that has been a huge product of these rules and these laws surrounding transparency. So when the public gets shut out, what does that mean for our justice system, which you fund, you're you're the reason it exists, and then you can't see what's happening? That doesn't sit well with a lot of people. You know, I, I, I we could have a whole separate podcast, maybe a series of them on why we still to this day cannot get cameras into federal courts. And I think that's just a, a huge uh, uh, shortcoming for the public's understa- ability to understand what well, goes on in federal Brian, courts. I, I worked in Pennsylvania before this where we couldn't have cameras in any court. Yeah, and actually so, Wisconsin is is, uh, is actually one of the better states in terms of giving access to state courts. 
it, it's, it's, uh, you're hardly ever told no, as long as you make a request for a camera in the courtroom in a timely manner. Um, I, I can't remember a time I've been denied unless there was a, a very unique or specific circumstance. So access to courts is generally in normal times, non-pandemic times, is normally very good. Um, then again, we've never had a reason for the courts to create YouTube videos. And now that, I mean, my first thought is that makes it even better. We've got this great way to go back and review things without having to show up in court with a camera, without having to make an advance request. And the videos are being produced, but they're also being actively deleted. But like I said, you, you, we could go on about why there's no nothing, nothing in federal courts. You can't go see those there. And as you said, these videos didn't exist before. So it does raise the question from the other side. If these videos weren't there before COVID, and this is just a temporary thing, what is the big deal? I mean, we didn't have these videos before COVID. Why do we care now if they get rid of them? Yeah, and that's a great question. And the transparency advocates that I talked to, the attorneys who say they're concerned about this, said in part it is the precedent of a government agency creating the record. They said, you know, it was the court's choice to create these records, which we, and I, when I say we, I mean the, the lawyers I spoke to were saying this, which we think is a really good move. But you're choosing to create a record. Once you create that record, there's a responsibility to the public to preserve it, in part so that people can access this thing that you created, which is the system that our law sets up, but also because as judges, you set an example for other government agencies. So for example, if, if a government agency is um, doing some things with open records that you think are wrong, really your only recourse in Wisconsin is to take them to court. Well, now you're appearing in front of a judge who has destroyed their own public records. So the system itself is something that many transparency advocates are concerned about. And if you're deleting this, what else are you going to be comfortable deleting? Well, judge, the idea judges certainly have the power here to make these decisions. They have a lot of power. Our power comes with the ability to inform the public about what's going on. And, and right. I think that's it, why it's important that you did the story. I'm so glad you did. And it's important for us to talk about this because for the average person at home, they don't know the ins and outs of what's going on. But I'll bet if you were sitting at home thinking, boy, I sure wish I could have seen so-and-so's hearing. I wish that video was still there. It could have been. And it's not. And and so far, I haven't really heard a, a particularly compelling reason why it can't be. The, the, if, I'm, if I'm right, Amanda, the two main arguments that I've heard that the courts have made on this is one, they don't want the videos to be distorted or mocked in some way. And two, this isn't technically the official record. Those are the two arguments, right? Yeah. So I had emailed, I sent two emails to the spokesperson for the director of state courts, because that's where this guidance comes from. And in the first email, I described our own technological issues and said, hey, this, this happened and this effectively shut the public out of this proceeding. I, I don't think that was your goal. Uh, but the other email was, I'm doing a story about this. I'd really like to do an interview with someone and have a conversation about this in case there's something I'm missing. And I did not get the interview, but I did get a letter. And that letter says, um, you know, number one, this is the, the YouTube video is not considered the official record. Um, number two, you, the media, can record these streams live as they happen, which didn't address the issues we had when we tried that. Um, but it, it didn't really elaborate beyond that. It didn't say, hey, it's really important that we delete these records because of 
X, Y, and Z. And I think that's another part of it. So there's the question of whether this is a violation of the open records law, but there's another question of, you know, just because someone can do something, does that mean they should? We're in 2020, we have more digital records, and as the director of state courts pointed out, yes, streaming through YouTube can give people more access. And that's why transparency advocates were originally really excited about this idea, because it means from anywhere, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, you can sit down and, and watch what's happening in court instead of having to lug all your stuff there and see what's going on. But if that stream doesn't work, if those videos are getting deleted, is it really a step forward in transparency? And the recordings themselves, they serve another purpose too. So when I uh, was trying to get answers about what happened with this live stream for the former Milwaukee police officer, originally the court administrator said we had no issues with our YouTube stream. There were zero technical issues. Well, fortunately, during the times when I was able to get in the stream, when it was starting and stopping, we had a recording of a staff member saying, hey, judge, we're having an issue with our YouTube stream. So having that video allowed me to say, no, I, I have someone on camera saying it's this. It's a perfect so clearly, example of how that video can actually challenge what you're being told in the absence of evidence. Exactly. And to be clear, I don't think anyone was deliberately giving me misinformation because the person I was speaking to wasn't there. Um, she was just relaying information she had been told. But having that proof was really valuable because at first there was denial that there was ever a problem. So I think that, yes, these videos did not exist beforehand. That doesn't mean that they should not exist going forward. And I still haven't heard any kind of compelling reason that serves a public interest as to why these videos are being deleted. I imagine that the courts view this as a temporary thing, hoping that when we get past whatever it takes to get past these concerns with COVID-19, that we'll be back to in-person hearings, in-person jury trials, and YouTube won't be necessary anymore. How long is this going to go on? That's a good question. So I'm the hearings that I've sat in on when they schedule out, they've been scheduling out for August and September, and they're still scheduling virtual hearings for those times. So I think originally when this system was set up, it was thought maybe it would be pretty temporary. But I don't know how long it's going to go on. And I think some of it, too, depends on the comfort levels of the judges. So you know, okay, we're at a point where they're legally able to open up their courtrooms, but will they? Will their staff feel comfortable coming back? I mean, think about how many people go in and out of a courthouse every single day. And well, we're entering the fall. If we have a second wave of COVID, we have flu season. Um, I have a feeling that YouTube streams aren't going away, or any kind of live stream, I should say, isn't going to be going away anytime soon. So if we have months more of this, we need to figure out a way to make sure people have access. And, well, and it's and, technology. And, it's going to break sometimes. Sure. It's not going to work. And that's understandable. But there needs to be a backup so that if it doesn't work all the time, the public isn't completely shut out 
of this process that shows how their government works. And as an adv advocate, as we are for open records, for transparency, for access to what your government is doing, uh, I, I would love it if, quite frankly, even when they did return to the courtroom, if they kept running streams online for people to see so they don't have to drive to the courthouse and, and appear uh, so they could sit at their desks at work and check in on an important hearing that they want to keep an eye on so that they could go back and potentially review video of a case that is of great public interest or at least interest of interest to them. I don't know that that's what's coming, but it could well be if you really stepped back for a minute. COVID-19 has changed a lot about how we do things in America and around the world. It's changed how workplaces operate. We've heard a lot about how employers are going to be doing a lot more having employees work from home and telecommute than they ever considered before because it's opened up the idea that this is possible and that there are efficiencies and savings. This could potentially, if the courts embraced it, be a thing that really expands, dramatically expands access to the courts for the public to consume unless they view this as we're going to just keep things the way they were and and go out of our way to delete those uh, delete that access or eliminate that access. I think there's an opportunity here. I think it's one that could be very beneficial for the public and and uh, uh, really expand access to an understanding of the courts. We'll see, I guess, if that's where this goes. And look, Wisconsin has a variety of judges. I don't presume that they all think the same way about this issue because they don't all think the same way really about any issue. Um, it sounds like there's a little bit of bristling at the idea that people would be able to see anything at any time. So, you know, Brian, the way things worked before, if there's a camera in the courtroom, you have to make a request. The judge knows about it ahead of time. The judge knows the camera is on. Um, and we've talked about this before. It's human nature. People behave differently when they know there's a camera on them. If someone's able to see this and have video of every proceeding forever, I, I, I know for a fact that there are some judges who are concerned about that. The question is, do those concerns serve the public interest in seeing well, how it, their government goes? And, and that argument... That argument of people playing to the camera and such is more likely when cameras are rare because, well, this is an unusual circumstance. The cameras are here. They're all watching. I'm going to play to the camera. If it becomes an everyday understanding that every proceeding is recorded and goes on the Internet, that uniqueness, that unusualness probably goes away. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, we talk about when we talk about people playing to the camera. I mean, there are so many things that are caught on video and, quote, playing to the camera. I haven't really seen evidence for that happening, negatively affecting things. I mean, for goodness sake, we've had Supreme Court hearings broadcast. And I don't think anyone is uh, accusing those proceedings of being invalid or of, of the broadcast not serving the public. So I do think this idea, it, it does make some people uncomfortable, but is that discomfort with merit or is it part of the, the growing pains that come with giving the public greater access, especially now that we're in the digital age? You know, I, I think you and I tend to see it more as the second because part of our job is pushing for things to be open to the public. Um, but it, it really is going to come down to whether the courts have an appetite 
to change what they're doing. Now, the other solution is a legislative solution, because as Tom Kamenick pointed out, Wisconsin's open records law doesn't really have an enforcement mechanism for records retention. You know, if someone deletes a record, and you, t- you have no recourse, right? The record's gone. So you can't say, hey, I'm taking you to court to turn over that record. The record's deleted. And that would be a legislative fix to strengthen the rules surrounding you know, when government agencies have to hold on to these records, including the courts. But state lawmakers themselves have issues with deleting records because they created a nice little loophole where they're allowed to selectively delete their records at almost any point. So the idea of them having an appetite to to bring that up and and make some rules that would affect the judges uh, seems slim. I will say this, we obviously, as, as advocates for transparency, we have a viewpoint on this and we're the only two talking here today. We want to hear from judges. We want to hear from lawyers. We would love to hear the counter arguments that might be out there. Are there other compelling reasons not to have these videos out there? Or are there people in the legal field who actually are listening to this, sharing it with others in their field and going, yeah, we're on board with this. We agree with you. Whatever it is, we want to hear from you. So please send us an email at the investigators at fox.com, T-H-E investigators at fox.com. And of course, we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. So again, anything beyond this that you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email one more time. That's the investigators at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, leave us a review. We love to read those. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday. Tuesday.